You are listening to Smokin' Theologians, a long-form conversation with hosts Alex Gonzalez and Preston Graham. Alex is a filmmaker, digital creative, and our designated layman. Preston is a church planter and pastor, author, and our theologian. This is Season 2, Episode 4. Okay, human identity. Human identity. Human identity. What are you thinking about human identity, brother man? Okay, I'm thinking how much I personally in my life wrestled with that. Who am I? What am I to do? Who am I in relation to you? Who am I in relation to others? Um, Could I define myself somehow? And in my early life, I, yeah, I really tried to. I, I thought my identity was based on my vocation, essentially. Like, I'm into filmmaking, I'm into computer stuff. Um, I'm a filmmaker, you know? And, and I think what's interesting is the world kind of reinforced that. You know, when I went to high school, it was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a human. What do you want to do, blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and, and I think that we're, we're living in a generation where, um, our identity is something that we can create and manifest um, in all different shapes and colors and sizes. And yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious if it was always like that. Mm. Is this just, a, you know, right? There's nothing new under the sun. Are we, are we the only generation that's dealing with this identity crisis? You're asking me? I'm asking you. In your, in your youth, did you, well, uh, did you struggle well, with your identity? I, I certainly am not speaking as an anthropologist, because I'm not. Yeah. So to, to, to do that answer, I probably need to know more. Um, so, and it'd only be anecdotal, but I don't know. I, I always refer back to my grandfather, who I uh, had the blessing of knowing well and talking a lot with him, particularly when I was at a pretty low point in my life. And um, I got to, you know, video him, do a video of him in an interview. He's about eight, 98 years old. He was born in 1903. And, um, it, you know, I didn't quite ask that question, but I do remember that the sense I get from him is that this whole trend of identity, identity crisis, self-identifying, which is more of a postmodern trend, so that would have way been beyond that. but. All of that seemed to escape him. I don't think he, I don't know that he ever asked he even the care. question yeah, of who am I. Yeah. I'm not, I can't say that definitively, but I'm sure certainly there were people who were doing it. Philosophically, I know of it, you know, uh, but, and, and that's been a question I think that philosophically has been asked forever, you know. Uh, Aristotle, I remember, the, in, you know, reading him in school and, he went through this whole long argument of what is human? You know, what does it mean to be human? And he did it sort of by a very somewhat, he was before his time modernist because I think the modernist impulse was to start to re- be very reductionistic. And you know, we are, we are this, we are that. And so he would say things like, he would say, well, if you take off an arm, are you a human? Or you take off this, but it seems like a very materialistic view. You know, so I don't know. I don't know the answer to your question, but I think we can pick up with where we are right now. And I think there is a huge amount of attention that seemed to be revolved around identity in some very, you know, profound ways. I mean, because you think about it, it seems to me that identity is not just about who are we by nature, but it tends to be much about who we are by vocation, who we are. Who do we identify as, which becomes maybe political, maybe it becomes vocational, it becomes ethnic, racial, and it seems like the question tends to be dividing us more than uniting us. Sure. So by the very nature of that question, I think the modern trend tends to be to to try to distinguish myself from others in a way that somehow gives me worth. And that very program itself to me is something maybe we want to talk about. Is that how we should 
identify ourselves, you know, in ways that allow me to distinguish myself from you. So I'm, you know, and you can go off on the things. I don't know what you're, you know, if, what you're thinking there, but. Well, I, what's interesting to me is how I, the concept of identity has changed over time. Even before we get into the theology of it, you know, my last name is Gonzalez because I was, I don't, long story short, our last names, our surnames used to identify us by our location, right? I am Jesus of Nazareth. Interesting, yeah. You know? That's really and, interesting, and yeah. Then, and then it kind of morphed into, okay, well, now they're all living in this same town with all these different last names. What else could we identify ourselves by? Yeah. And then I think the trend started to go towards, I am a carpenter, I am a blacksmith, I am a civil leader, I am XYZ. And now, that's kind of formed into, I am based on what my belief is. Or I am, uh, you know, maybe before today, it was mm -hmm. also about political party. I am a Republican, I am a Democrat, I am a Libertarian. I am, I am, I am, X, Y, Z. It's, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know where the, what the history is. I mean, is, is. there something, it, it kind of begs the question though. I do think this self-identifying is interesting because it seems like we're living in what philosophers describe as a sort of existential way of relating to our identity where identity is something we must create. Identity is something we must well, in the words of someone over there earlier, um, whereas perhaps in the classic Judeo-Christian tradition, it's something you discover. It's something that was given to you at creation, and we're trying to discover that. The meaning of my existence, the essence of my existence, and I think it's a very important thing to say that in all of these identities formations, I feel like we're losing the essence of who we are in a way that the uh, the created identities or the self-identifying is, they typically seem to me to be adjectival rather than a that's, noun. That's a fancy word. You mean an adjective? An adjective, yeah. yeah. That, that, in other words, I could see a person say, what am I? Sure. And they would say, well, I'm human. And the biblical answer would be, I am imago Dei. I am, I am the creature, unlike any other creature, that is made in the image of God. And that is, a, that is where I derive my worth, that is where I derive my even vocation, I'll argue, if we want to get into that, and, and what that regard, regarded. Um, but it's also what unifies every human in a way that we all share Mago Day. And it's also the source of my ultimate worth and, and meaning. So Imago Day was the biblical term that was the identifying term, but the key is it was a gift. It, it's not a term that we created, it's not a term that we, you know, create for ourselves. It's who we are. And it's also who we are that is not distinguish me from any other human. Whereas every other identity I can think of, more or less, is something that distinguishes me from someone else. And it's something that is not at the core, the most essential of who I am. Yeah, but I think in our fallen nature, we tend to like to say, I am a third year graduate of studying. Yeah. I am a postdoctorate, blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. I mean, there's nothing yeah. wrong with having adjectives. My, my point would be that it seems like, what we're kind of getting this really fast, aren't we? But that, that this trend tends to be moving to a place where we're almost replacing the noun with whatever adjective I place on it. So I could be a, a carpenter, but that's an adjective if you understand it in the way I'm using it, somewhat metaphorically. Yeah, I'm an, ima, I'm an imago Dei, I'm made in the image of God. And as one who is in the image of God, and in fulfillment of who I am as an image of God, I am a carpenter. That's a very different thing than, than saying I am a carpenter 
And that's who I am. That is to make an idolatry out of my work. You could sure. say. Sure, that's like the Olympian who all, without swimming, they're, they're broken. Exactly, that's a great example. What happens when there are things, many of these things, you no, know, some of them are, I'm, 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 I'm Anglo-Saxon, you know, I'm African-American, I'm, you know, Korean or Chinese or whatever. You know, you can say your ethnicity and that is very inherent to who we are, but not so inherent as, but beneath even my ethnicity that is derived over years, evolution, etc. before even that, you could say, I was human. And human in the biblical word is Imago Dei. In terms of the ultimate identity, now I can argue two things. And I'm just arguing for the sake of argument because I, yeah, I, think, I think we... That's we, fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I, one, is, one is that sometimes when you say an adjective is, could be argued a noun. So it's hard to say that, for example, I am Caucasian. That's more of a noun than an adjective. I can't really change. And the use of it in a sentence, yes. Okay, I'm thinking, yeah. like I said, think of it more of a vocationally, uh, conditionally. Yes, that can be an adjective. I am angry right now. I am a woman now. In a way, that's well. I am angry okay. is a little different, you know. Yeah, that's okay. I'm sorry. I didn't, it's I different didn't, than that, saying that I am anger. I didn't mean. I'm sorry. That bad sequence of, of words. Um, what I'm trying to say is, I, I'm just I'm just playing. I'm trying to be sympathetic for folks who are, uh, who have what you're describing as adjectives that might be quasi-permanent. So let me let I me, am disabled. Yeah. So I am. So from a biblical point of view, see, I would say, okay, it, the most essential, the most, es the the ontology of who we are in Scripture is that we were made in the image of God, and the word that is used then to describe what that image is is the word nefesh which is the word we derive the word soul now some people when you say the word soul they use it as synonymous with spirit but that's not the way the scripture used it um it says that you know god it says god took from the earth in the dust and formed our biology so we are living in a biosphere called creation from which I get my flesh, my biology, the bio, and then into that biology, God breathed his spirit into us. And the scripture says, I think it's verse 28, in chapter one, and we became, it says, we became a living nefesh soul. So think about what we just learned that Genesis describes humanity as both derived from the biosphere, but also derived from the theosphere, God's sphere. And that's an event that did not happen with anything else in all of creation. I think our last podcast, we talked about animism. And we would say, well, th that goes astray because we cannot deify creation or any animal in creation but for humanity, and I say this with quotations, we can deify humanity, not in the sense that we are God, but we have God's spirit in us. You know, his, his, and so we are a spirit, which makes us eternal. Unlike any other creature, we are eternal. Think about that. Every, every other creature is not eternal. We'll talk about animals one day for the animal lovers, because that'll... I had a good person in the church that was really upset when I said that one day. Hold on, you're not telling my 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 dog Sam is going to be in heaven with me. And oh gosh, I don't want to talk about that. I think dogs will be there. But anyway, the point is, they got to be there. <laughs> they got to be there, or there's no heaven. Okay, okay, okay. But but no, I to get back to playfulness. The you hear what I'm saying though? There's there's a sense in which we need to start with what is who is hum humanity? What is humanity? in this image of God. And at the very beginning, we learn that humanity is the, the mystical communion of biology from the earth. We're, we're earthy, but also the spirit, which is eternal and is derived from God and his presence 
and you know you could say the evidence of that is things like a conscience you know um, I still don't think there's any evidence that any other creature can look in the mirror and and say oh my hair is out of place there's something about our ability to get outside of ourselves and to see us as from the outside of us which is indicative that can get into that's real, heavy stuff that, but that, that that's where we get into trouble why is when we look uh from the outside that's that's i can also argue right now we we've never had a a time in life or where technology allows you to create an identity outside your yeah uh, you talk about a i can make a digital sitar is that what you're talking I, I can make a digital avatar. I can avatar, make, a, I, can I, make yeah. a, I can make a digital self. And honestly, I think the big. But th but is that really? But that but you're not making. But that I, what I'm saying is you're making a representation of yourself. Is all. My point is like that that gift that we have to recognize ourselves outside of ourselves yeah. is incredibly perverted. It can be, but it can't. Is every painting? Is every artist's rendition of you in a beautiful oil? canvas painting uh, I don't know that that's necessarily bad is it no it's when I think that that painting is you of me <laughs> as a beautiful 18 year old muscular uh, okay you can is, definitely is who think I'm your idolatries yeah, yeah 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 but but my bigger my bigger concern with it all is can't you can't you can't one argue that calling ourselves Imago Dei we are the pinnacle of creation. We are the jewel of this earth. That there's some arrogance to that. And I say that going back to our last conversation with the Alaskan folks who kind of equated us in the same breath as, say, uh, an elk. You know, yeah. in, in other words, So we, are we, we certainly arrogant? don't want to be animists. We do not believe that there's any creature that has the status of Imago Dei. And remember, I just mentioned what distinguishes us as humans from all other creation is that we are a living soul. The word soul, nefesh, is used to describe humanity in our wholeness. That's really important. It's, it's who we are in totality. We are both spirit and, and flesh, body. We're body and spirit. We're, we have two natures. Every other creation has one nature, it, it, living like an animal. One nature, they are body. And sensory perception and all that stuff comes with it, but we are body. And it's all sensory driven. We are a creature that is not just sensory driven, though we are that, we share that with all animals. But we're a, we are someone who is also spirit driven. There is a human spirit that transcends our body, that makes humanity just just in the just uh, descriptively different, but we haven't got into the significance of that yet. But just that's the first point. The Imago Dei, this what we're going to describe as the image of God, which I haven't defined yet. But it consists of it's only given to those who are both body and spirit. And what I'm saying there is that, ironically, what you describe is what you're afraid of is exactly when we lose the nefesh the soul. It's the death of the soul. We, many people have written books with the word death of the soul as a sign to modernity and the enlightenment. That we've lost the soul. We became materialist. And, um, and we're nothing but material. And so you can talk about brain science and you're, you're, you're looking at us as uh, understanding us biologically. And it's a good, it's a wonderful field. And I think people should go into brain science. But that's a little different than psychology. You see, psychology now is still it's secular, but it's, you're asking deeper questions about, is there, is there something that defines who we are and how we act that goes beyond my material bio makeup? Are you just genetics? Are you genetics plus? In, a, in an essential way, I mean. I don't mean, yeah. What do you think of that? I mean, so that that's to me, when people talk about the death of the soul, we're talking about an enlightenment event that became very reductionistic. 
and it said, we can only know us as we can know ourselves. Mm. That's mm. crucial. That's the Cartesian revolution. I think, therefore I am. I think, therefore I am. Exactly. And that Cartesian... I've always thought that was the most arrogant statement of all time. Well, but, I love but, but what we're saying is we, we lost the, you know, the window that we thought we had pre-enlightenment or pre-modern. We felt that there was a revelatory window from heaven. You know, that, that there was a God in the heaven and there was a window wherein we could, God could reveal to us who we are. The enlightenment more or less closed that window and said, there may be a God. Kant was not against there being, in fact, he was trying to save God in his book, Pure Reason. But if, if all we can know is by pure reason, which is either rationalism or empiricism, then, then now we're left with no possibility of knowing us as God knows us. Just to, in other words, to say what you just said again, if, if, if all we are, 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 if we're defining Imago Dei based on our rationality, we have a problem because now we're discovering other animals that are incredibly rational. You see gorillas sharpening, you see octopuses are inc more, more intelligent than a dog, you know, it's, I can go on and on about right. rational, intelligent creatures, but what you're saying, if I understand, and maybe what we lost a little is that there's more than that. It's not just our intellect or rationalities. It's more than just our spirit of life. It's a, something else called a soul. Exactly. And, and that living soul, spirit and body, now has a connection because of the spirit with that which is outside of ourselves. We are also social creatures, and we are deriving that socialization from a God who is social. The Holy Trinity is a social event, right? <laughs> and so the God who himself is essentially social created that on earth, which is united to him socially, relationally, better word. And we have that. I mean, the very fact that we, I mean, can you imagine any animal, again, somebody could say, well, how do you know they don't? But there's no evidence, but even in my mind, it just seems to totally right. But at least it makes my point that I don't think that the impulse to pray, where in the heck did that come from? The impulse to pray. What is it about humanity? And it's all over. There, there's an anthropologist, uh, Alexis Mead, I think is her name. I, I'm not sure if I got it all right. Meadius or something like that. But she studied uh, socialization across all types of people groups and tribes and histories and she observed this is a pure anthropological observation that all anthropology groups all groups of people have what she called the axis mundi you know have you ever axis heard that term mundi? axis mundi the axis so think about world axis that that everyone all civilizations find a way to build whatever you want to call it, a, a temple, a, a, a totem pole. It's, it's somewhere where that innate sense that we, that, the, that, that reality consists of, of a heaven and earth, a, a sphere, a being, whatever that is, a, a power, that is not of this world and we are somehow connected to that world and then axis mundi is what she described as that space it's a it's a place in the social fabric where people would go with the idea that this space is where this transcendent power connects to our temporal life that space can be uh, in the patriarchal period you see it, it was a mount it was a a mound of rocks, a place where somehow God, they, they viewed God as intervening in life and they would establish then this memorial in the form of a, a, a stack of rocks. Um, the, the dome, uh, you know, over in Jerusalem, the dome, the, the dome of the rock, that is where David had this encounter with God and he envisioned a temple being built there, which his son eventually built, the temple of God, right? Um, but that's an axis mundi. That's what a an anthropologist would describe as an axis mundi. Every civilization has one. Isn't that interesting? 
And see, that's what I mean by a living soul, that there's biosphere, we're in the world of the bio, the bio there's a sphere of biology, sensory perception, sense like that, that's common to all creatures. But then humanity has a sense that there is a transcendent power, spirit, whatever they call it, that touches Earth. And that's getting us to the discussion of what an Imago Dei is. The Imago Dei is that Why, being. because we have a realization of a higher power? Is that the... Yeah, but, but just think of it. Uh, how would you know, what would it look like? Well, you know, there was a great uh, uh, philosopher who went to a conference, and it was a conference on, do I believe in God? This is a true story, Alvin Plantinga. And he's a very highly respected, you know, uh, he was at Notre Dame. And he broke into the conference, it's, it's been said, and he stood up to the podium, people were waiting for a good hour, heady lecture, and he stood up and he said, I pray, therefore there's, therefore God exists. And he walked off the, off the podium. That was his lecture. And it created a debate that went through the whole conference. Because how do you get around that? I pray, therefore God exists. And we could call it the, it's called the ontological argument for God, but the point is, is that it's very profound that, that I, I'm not concerned about God's existence right now. We're assuming that in this conversation. I'm concerned that what is it about humanity that prays? And people of all, all kinds of prayers, I mean, I'm saying Christian, that there is an axis mundi sense, both in place and in our way of doing life where we find ourselves looking to a higher power, praying to a higher power, all of this stuff. Now the enlightenment came and says you can't do that, more or less. Or if you do, you don't know that you're really reaching him anyway. Because of a certain... Of I am, the I am, therefore the, I exist idea. Yeah. The, the Cartesian revolution. There was a limitation. Now, so what are we to do with this problem? I mean, like, mm -hmm. I, I just want to take a step back to original you're saying that maybe maybe right now we're having a, a problem, an identity crisis on our hands. I think we really because, are. Because, we're, because we're, we're, we're identifying too much with our adjective. We're identifying too much with our perhaps even physical body. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're identifying too much with vocation, sexuality, you might want to, or just like... Any, but why would it be too much? That's... that's Putting it back, I'm being now playing yeah, with yeah, you. Yeah, too much. The fact that you even have some sense that somehow it's too much weight to put on an adjective, you know. Well, I think there's something leads me to think you're on the right track. The reason is because deep down, I think the reason, I think any idol comes from a good. Okay. Yeah. Let me let me take a step back before I say what I like. How can I put this? The reason why we're all obsessed with identity is because we realize there is such a thing as identity. And that's interesting in itself, isn't and it? And it's it's almost hardwired instinctually in us. You know, the first thing we learn is our name. The first thing we learn is how to write our name. Um, the first thing and maybe maybe the first thing we learn is our parents' names. I don't know. But the concept is that we early on are identified as individuals, are identified as as uh yeah, individuals is, is the word. Um, yeah, I don't know. Where I'm trying to go with this. I guess. I guess my, my question is where, wh what's the saving grace? Is what's what's the healthy appropriation of identity in terms of vocation? In terms, like, I don't know. I, I, so what do you think? I mean, do you, you said you start off when you were a kid. I'm, I'm and, like, I'm like, I'm like asking a question. I'm answering it in my mind, and I'm like, that's wrong. Well, I mean, you said earlier. I mean, a lot of. I think there's nothing wrong that we. Let's make it clear. I think it's a noble ambition to want to know who I am, because that's going to inform me about I think a lot all, of things. If we're honest, need to go through that. We that ought fire, to, you yeah. know, and um, you know, and to, to to discover ourselves is something that is going to inform how I live, how I act, how I relate to other people. But time out, because we can say that word "discover ourselves," right? Yeah. I could easily twist that and say I discovered then I that I yeah. am X Y Z. And yeah, you want to distinguish that from discovering myself over against 
in an existential Manifesting. sense, I am going to, uh, I'm going to insert into existence existentialism, insert into existence myself as I want myself to be. So it all, I mean, it's sort of odd, isn't it, that we now live in an age where I can make myself anything I want to be. Whether it's gender, whether it's race, whether it's vocation, whether I mean, it's... Tom, Thomas Jefferson says a man is what he thinks about all day. And in, in many ways, if all no, I thought... That's good. If, uh, that's, but that's sort of an existentialist thing to say. I know. So if all I think about is trading stocks, trading stocks, I'm a stockbroker. I become... I become what I thing. think about. If in, and even in the negative, even if I think that. Now, what I am, would be let me, even for the standpoint of human flourishing? Yeah. What do you think would be unhealthy about that? That it's all up to me. Yeah. What pressure you feel? Yeah. Think that about I, the that pressure. I am, that I am the creator of my life. That I am the captain of my ship. And I actually, find, I don't know if I, if I, I don't think I share this. Can I share something? Usually you share. Why do you ever ask me? Because, you know, I'm a polite guy. You are polite. Way more than I am. That's for sure. Insert yourself. The other night, I was going through a dark night of the soul, if you will. Oh, save the details from my diary. Oh, I love it. Um, Here we go. You're, is it, are you angry with God again? I wrote myself a note. <laughs> yeah, I'm always angry at God. Um... I found, I don't know, I was like pacing my room and I saw like a little tiny, and I was dealing with, I don't exactly, I don't, I don't know exactly what I was dealing with. There was something, existential crisis again. And I was looking in the top corner of my room and there was like a little note. And I was like, what is that? And I looked, and it was my own handwriting. Up on the ceiling? Up in the ceiling. I didn't think I was going to share this today. <laughs> and I wrote, in a post-it note, this I wrote. This is awesome. This is why I love you, man. This is why I love you. I'm thankful that I cannot be the Lord of my life because if I were, I'd be a complete mess. Lord, restrain me, kill my rebellion. That's pretty harsh. I'm I, I saying that because... It's a beautiful prayer, by the it's, way. It's, it's a concept that, yeah, I, I really, if I'm honest, I'm really wrestled with my whole life con is, is wanting to be God-like. In other words, thinking that my, that I, as a human, the pinnacle of creation had all of this power to manifest my dreams. And we were talking last night, you know, manif trying to get that five-star hotel on earth. All my dreams that I have ought to become true or what the hell is the point of it? And, and that, you sh that is the rhetoric, what's going on right now in the world is, um, you know, dream, succeed, achieve kind of things like manifest. It's up to me. If it ought to be, it's up to me, that concept. Um, and I lived like that for a long time thinking that like the reason why I wasn't uh, fulfilled was because I wasn't, I wasn't pushing myself hard enough to manifest my dreams. Right. Um, and that every dream I've ever had ought to come true. <laughs> Uh, if not, why had I dream it? Why have I dreamt it? And and, and that was my identity was so wrapped up in performance uh, or just not even performance. I didn't care what other people. It wasn't like that. It it was more like uh, the 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 power I had to manifest things into existence. Yeah. Um, which I believe humans actually have a little bit of that power, but yeah. I think where we run stray is is where we say amago day. Yeah, we are God. You know? So it's really interesting. There's two parts of this. So you could say that this existential trend that we have in modernity and postmodernity to self-identify is an expression of the original sin. Amen. It, it, it just is. It's an expression of the original sin that says, yeah. I am the... Uh, I determine who I am, what I will be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you better not tell me any differently. But it's really in a sense to seek that kind of, uh, yeah, I, I think it's the original sin in the sense that we have now, uh, it's just another manifestation that's been around forever since the fall of humanity wanting to revolt from a derived identity. And, an inherited and, identity. And an inherited identity, a gifted identity. I'd like to use the word gifted. That's a better word. Because I think this is what gets to the other part. But we're good to have you with us, guys. Yeah. Welcome to New Haven. We're glad you're here. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. So it, we, take, we go from there to, think about it, to a, uh, a the, 
we take upon ourselves thinking it's going to be liberating and it actually oppresses us because now we live under the weight of having to prove ourselves having to justify ourselves having to be very existentially anxious about am i being all i can be and all of this stuff that you talked about earlier it's it's to me an incredible weight that i see making us so emotionally fragile i think there's a lot of emotional fragility now that maybe my grandfather never felt because he assumed he was all he was you're supposed to, to be at birth yeah. amen because you're onto something because we get so how can i put this Putting that responsibility on our shoulders is going to leave us in turmoil because a we're, we're that a that was because it goes in my opinion it goes against the original design so obviously we're gonna have some conflict with it and b we're gonna push 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 and ultimately we're gonna realize we're gonna hit a wall one day and realize that it's just it's not possible and then, and then to show you how profound this is okay so one of the things I most enjoy in pastoral ministry is visiting a family in the hospital or maybe at home if you know soon after but when they have a child i can't go to the hospital now as you know but with all our COVID stuff but um and at that hospital every single time i've done it since 30 years i've read to them psalms 139 and i've said this psalms 139 is among other things it's it's, it's a psalm about the presence of god in our lives there's nowhere we can go where God will not be present. Think about what I just said. This is really cru crucial. And, and he takes it even all the way back to the womb. That even in the womb, before you even existed, I was with you. And, and, and he says about the womb that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. So we read this passage about how God has always been with little Johnny or Sally, whoever it is. And I remind the parents, they, they have never been outside of God's presence since even their conception. And that who they were are as made biologically and who they are spiritually is both God's gift to them. Which means, don't ever forget that your child has an identity. And that identity that we will celebrate in holy baptism is an identity that you want to remind them of every day of your life, metaphorically, figuratively speaking. And, and to remind them of that, you're going to remind them that you are exactly already what you're supposed to be. You are an image of God, the highest honor and worth that you could possibly have. To have a derivative uh, identity means that you're not... You're not what Peter Berger, the sociologist who was reacting against modernity, is probably the greatest sociologist of knowledge um, professor that I've ever had, and it probably even lives. But he wrote a book called The Homeless Mind, and in that book he describes the identity crisis of modern humanity, and he described it as as being the naked self. Yeah. That we that he, modernity has created us where we are born naked in terms of our dignity, having to now clothe our identity through our existential works and life. And from the Christian point of view, see, we're going to say that's all wrong. We are gifted before mom, dad, anybody even knew me, God knew me, and he knew me in the womb, and I was fearfully and wonderfully made. So therefore I say to them, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to want to celebrate their failures even as you would want to celebrate their, their successes. Why? Because every failure is a child discovering what he's not. Potentially. I don't, don't take this too far. Sometimes failures, you learn a lesson, you succeed. Think of this more in a deeper way. So that failure, you wanted to be, you had in your mind because all your social peers have informed you that the only way you can have meaning and purpose in life is that you have got to be a great athlete or a great musician or whatever. And you've worked so hard and you try so hard, but the fact of the matter is, I mean, I coach baseball, Little League, and I would get the parents and I'd bring them together and I'd say at the very beginning, I said, listen guys, let's just get real here. You know, in the town I was in, someone, in this whole league, you might have one or two people who are going to get a scholarship because of baseball. And you're going to find out it's not going to really be 
how many camps they go to, how many extracurricular events they go to, how many games they play. The fact is they either got it or they don't. Now, you can destroy them if you have, in effect, said your worth and your importance in life without ever saying those words. No parent would probably say that. But if all you're doing is getting excited about when you can throw the football very far, or all you're getting excited about is when you can play that beautiful violin, and if they can't, you're disappointed viscerally, then you're communicating that, that, that you have imported in a sense, and I didn't say all this to them like this, in a baseball, no, no, I didn't do that. I'm sure you kept it light, I kept and, very sweet. light and sweet. I just like basically a little reminded them, guys, this is about your children's discovery. They're going to learn so much about themselves as they socialize, oh, as they sure. do all this stuff. For sure. Sport is a beautiful thing. It's an artificial life environment, you know, that's protected and you can try things out. And, you know, but some of your kids are going to find out they're not baseball players. And we're going to still love them and want them to play and... And, and we're going to learn a lot that. about baseball without without having. But the to point be, really is, yeah. but they're going to walk away realizing that's not them. But you're. But as a Christian, see, I kind of led this into it. But as a Christian, I want to say to the parent at the hospital room. But we start with the assumption they were very carefully, fearfully, and very perfectly made, beautifully. And therefore, when they can't run fast, you're going to say. Isn't that exciting that you have discovered no. that the fearful, beautiful person that you are is not linked to how fast you run? You see, it's linked to who you are before you ever started running. You are made in the image of God. But if you don't say that, if you don't tell them, first of all, I think that's I need a match, by the way. I think that's profound. I couldn't, I can't get this thing. Here it is. I got I one too. Um, we talk too much and therefore we can't keep it going. Therefore, <laughs> we talk, therefore we can't smoke. Therefore we can't smoke. <laughs> maybe, that's a good, maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, there you go. Um, uh, I, th I think one of the problems is if, if you realize, I, I, first of all, what you're saying is beautiful, and I, and I agree that you know you got it or you don't. I think one of the problems we're suffering right now. In some ways, you do. I don't. Want, I'm not diminishing hard work and all that stuff. For sure. And but one of the things that I think we're wrestling with right now, and I think it's all tied. Maybe this is like a tangent, but I think this is all tied to the problem is we're given so many choices that were so saturated yeah. with, okay, if I'm not a baseball player, then what am I? Am I a chess? I'm not good at chess. Then what am I? Am I a ballet? I'm not good at that. Then, and we just keep going running and running and running and then grow up a little and say, what is, what, what is, the, what is your will for my life? Whereas in older generations, they didn't, they didn't care if they were being fulfilled at work. Work, just to use work as an example of vocation. Well, maybe they had a different way of being fulfilled. It, it if, you're, was, you're, if you're trying to provide for a family and survive, you feel great satisfaction to come home that night and have a meal on a table. If you, in, in a world where, where I guess you want to call it religion, was much, much more prominent, I think people were much more concerned with the, the ethical and morality of man. Yeah of your life rather than your vocation and or identity, if that makes sense. Um, in other words, uh, it didn't matter what you did. People would take any of the first job they can get. Uh, what mattered was, were you a man of your word? Are you a, a, a man of strong character? Things like that, that I think touches closer to the Imago Dei of the original yeah. intent of the Imago Dei rather than these adjectives we're adding on to right. it because it's it, because it's insulting in a way because it's saying that being a child of God is not enough. So let's get at that Imago Dei. Yeah. I think that's where we need to go here because so our first point I think we've made though is we are who we are as God has made us and who as God sees us. I am already millions of miles ahead of this postmodern existentialist way of forming identity. Already with that, because modernity says, remember, I am, therefore I exist, and it's, it sets us in course with a inserting our existence and our meaning and our purpose, but we're naked, we're the naked self doing it, we're doing it alone. Whereas the biblical view says, no, we're doing it with God, and God gifted us with, a, with an identity the Imago Dei. And we need to talk about that because the Imago Dei, first and foremost, is this idea that we have a derivative, I keep using that word, a derivative 
um, self-image. I am who I am, and what makes me so perfect and beautifully and wonderfully made is I am literally made at, with God as my being, God's being informing who I am. And God is the supreme being. I can reach no higher level sure. of being. And think about how that would change the world if instead of our adjectival self-identities, we started with that singular identity, whether you're black, white, or brown, whether you're male or female, whether you're carpenter, plumber, lawyer, or doctor, or priest, pastor, you know, you, we are all essentially one as Imago Dei, which is why we believe in the sacredness of all life. The, the Down syndrome child is Imago Dei. The, you know, the, the, the lame and the, the, the high IQ man is the Imago Dei. We're all Imago Dei, which means all life needs to be protected. All life needs to be loved. All life needs to be respected. And, and we start with assumption that says that if your characteristics are not characteristics that will um, get you ahead or, or distinguish you in my way of, my adjective, if you're not as, as academically, uh, a, you know, um, aptitude, doesn't mean that you're not just as worthwhile in society. If you're not as rich as me, I mean, think about all the adjectives that can be socioeconomic, your blue collar, white collar, survival ethic, whatever these all, all these are, rich, poor, race. Of course, we have all of the races. Well, actually, well, ethnicities, gender. But if we were to start with the assumption that none of those inherently is the source of our worth, then for us to be different does not then diminish the mutual respect and the way that should transform into laws, the way that should transform into, I mean, that's why all racism is evil, that's why all sexism is evil, that's why all of it's evil, because we're all made in the image of God. And it would be as much, it would be as worth our money to save a, a, a little old lady out in the bush under a sycamore tree who has no utilitarian value that we can think of in a capitalistic society. Well, that's different than Darwin said. But well, okay. but, but you see, we're going to say that's right. We're going to say no. The survival of the fittest is fundamentally wrong because humanity has worth. Now, the second thing we've got to say yeah. about Imago Dei is this, and I don't know how much more time we have, but I want to make sure we get it. The Imago Dei, the reason that language was used is because it's derived from this idea of being a priest. I, I was going to say that. I'm glad we're Good. talking about that because okay. I know that was a big part of this, yeah. was the concept of, okay, okay, great. I believe. Let's say we establish that we can move on. Good. Now what? Now we look at Imago Dei and, and, and what, what we- What are we to do? Yeah. What are we to do as Imago Dei? Are we to just live our own vocational desires, knowing that our identity is somewhere else? So on the surface- So to make it really quick, I wish I could have time to take more, but to make it time. really quick, we have and then we can go with further if you want. Do we have time? Do we have time? Yeah, well, okay. we're gonna, we we'll definitely we got, get time We got this. a good 10, 15. Okay, so, um, so to start with that Imago Dei, the, reason, the, the idea is imaging, imaging God. Think about that. Um, the language that's descriptive of, of the Imago Dei, the human, when it says be fruitful and multiply, and then it goes on to say and subdue the world and, and um, what's the other one? It's the, it's the word, the two Hebrew words that describe our mission is the word Shamar and Kabash. Yes. To Kabash, it's a Hebrew word, is to conquer. But the context there is to bring all of life under the dominion of the king of kings, God. So we were set in motion with the mandate to expand the kingdom of God. Remember last week we talked about the idea that the, 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 the uh, Eden was a temple. It's the temple of God. All of creation is viewed as creation temple. Our purpose is then to expand God's kingdom rule over all the earth. That's kibosh. Manifest destiny. That's kibosh. And that sense we're royal. Humanity is, is given a royal status. The second word is shamar. Shamar means to guard. It's to guard the temple. And that's a, that's a term that, was, it, that is descriptive of, of preserving its purity, 
It's sanctity. It's a purifying word. Both of those words were words that were used to commission the priest in a temple. The kibosh was the king. The, 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 I'm sorry, Shamar was the priest. And the vestment, to illustrate my point, so you have this vestment, you know what I mean by a vestment? The, the, what the uh, priests would wear, they would wear it when they're sure. acting in office. The vestment that was given to the priest in the Old Testament temple um, was literally the image of God depiction. It would, the inside of the vest was in earthy tones. The outside of the vest was in these flaming, bright, beautiful, precious, derived out of precious stones sort of view. And this, and this uh, priest would put on this vestment when he would serve you know, the, the temple. And it's meant to be an image of a priestly function within the world where, where from the flesh emanates the spirit. Remember, Nefesh? And his vision, therefore, was to bring the world into the dominion of Christ, of God. And he was to purify that dominion to keep it holy and sacred. I can say, and then in the free fruitful and multiply, this is the last thing I'll say, and then we'll get you get blamed with. Ironically, that, that statement is given to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Um, it's given now about... You know, at every history of the Old Testament, it's divided into 10 histories. In every history, whether it's Moses, whether it's, you know, Noah, whether it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, in every one of these events, the commission that he gave them, the charge that God gave them was, be fruitful and multiply. So now we begin to see that the Bible is not about cosmology. It's not even about anthropology it really is about a redemptive history where humanity was brought into this redemptive endeavor that God had started with the creation of the world and in this endeavor he uh, he gave to it royal priest and that is who we are we are the royal priesthood of God all of humanity is charged with using whatever aptitude you're given by God whether it's carpenter whether it's you know anything at all we're all given the same mandate to to take the kingdom and expand it into our world by kiboshing it and by shamaring it by bringing it under God's rule and dominion and by preserving its purity and sacredness and that would start of course with the way we treat each other you know and so in some ways we're I don't want to use the word evangelist but Adam and Eve were basically charged to be priests and to be somewhat of an evangelist, you could say, but also a someone who is a king. So think of prophet, priest, and king are all in those words. Can, can, can I also, can, instead of saying prophet, priest, and king, can I say... Prophet, evangelist, king, subdue, yeah, priest, Before, before I try to do all three, can, can we replace the word priest with farmer? With what? Farmer. No, I would say a farmer should do it in a priestly way. Interesting. Farmer would be an adjective. A priest is my, who... Is a role? It is my calling in life to be a royal priestly influence in the world. And I can do it being, by being a farmer. I can do it by being anything in the world. When I say farmer, I don't mean... Well, but the farming... I don't mean like hacking tomatoes. I okay. mean in a much more broader metaphorical sense where we are, we all... I, I, what I do is I don't touch the earth at all, unfortunately, in my life. But I, I'm constantly doing things that I'm hoping to... Uh, I'm planting seeds, seeing... I'm, I'm letting God water and seeing if that sprouts. If not, I have lots of little gardens going on of lots of essentially projects, you know, and... and, and some will some will come to life. Some will, the the winter cold will, will kill it. I say all of this because, um, yeah, to me that that Adam and Eve were the original farmers, and and I think maybe I'm using a different word instead of priest. But I'm thinking that well, as, as, I just don't know. My caution would be because at least when I hear the word, what is that saying that says inherently? I don't know that farming conveys to me this 
kingly, royal role of bringing all things in subjection to God. But exactly, it's not. And okay. that's why I, that's why maybe we politely disagree. I think we ought to take a little lower position because if we start thinking that we're high priests, we start getting into some Pharisee well, nonsense. Well, but see, but the key word there, that, good, I, you're right. Unless you are super discernful. The key is, the key yeah, yeah. is Tell, to, derivative. Uh, yeah, you, you see, have to accept it as a gift because if you think that you you are the you at no point can you become a royal priest unto yourself, and if you do, you just you just did the original sin. That's exactly what Adam did. Point, they chose upon themselves. We do it to every serve. single day as humans. Do what? We do that every day. I know that's called sin, <laughs> and we have to and we fight against it. Yeah, that's I mean, right. like every day we we think that we are in a higher position than that's we right. are. But Not, you can't. But but my point is, you can't stop being who we are, yeah. Alex. That's who you are. You are that before you even had a choice. He made you to be a royal priestly prophet, being in this world. And this world now becomes your temple, not your temple, God's temple. And you have been sent by God on behalf of Him, not in your own power and strength. We got to come back to this because this is not, this is, this is start, starting to sound like prosperity gospel stuff. Oh man. no. No, I, I'm, I'm saying devil. I know, I know, but I you're mean, right. Be, be, I can, but see, that would be an example. But, do, but see how it's so easy to like you take you take a, a separate comma. Thank you. You take a Thank separate you. comma on a sentence, and then it's like I am this mighty person instead of receiving. Isn't it funny though? We started off with the great crisis in identity, <laughs> and and we were worried about having too low of an image, too low of a of a of a value, and now we're left with the temptation to have too great of a value and too great of an image. And I think it's the key. The key is we're not God. And yet God has invested us to be his vice generator or whatever the word is. He's invested us with this commission and power by his spirit to be his mediatorial presence on earth. Mediate is a very key word there. The sacraments, we call the mediatorial presence of Christ. It's not because we believe the bread and the wine become Christ. It's because we believe it's God's chosen instrument through which he comes to us in, with, and through the body of Christ that's on earth. But the body of Christ is not Christ. The body of Christ is the image of Christ. It's the imagago today. Can I, can I, can I try to end maybe with a crazy illustration that I'm thinking off the cuff for the folks who are maybe not as... Please, you uh, um, get me, make me clear. When you send a text message, you send it to your lover and say, baby, I love you. <laughs> is that you in that text message or is that the mediatorial presence of yourself? It's me acting in, with, and through my fundamental and essential identity as a prophet, priest, and king. I don't know how it's, you know. But I mean, through the you know, text message, we can say, it's the same. You just use the analogy as, as the host. Or the, it's me fulfilling who I am, given to me yeah. by God. But I start life with the gift of an identity. I now spend the rest of my life discovering how to steward that. And so the word steward might be a better word. My whole life is defined in the scripture as stewardship. Taking the gifts he gave me, taking the assets he gave me, taking my history, taking my gender, taking everything that I am, being at peace with all of it, not trying to change who I am fundamentally, but I'm now learning to steward all of that I am in a manner that will fulfill this beautiful mandate. Because I know that all I do with all this is draw people to myself, then they are gonna be disillusioned and let down. But the image of God says, I'm not God. And I would encourage people to read Hebrews chapter one and the way that that passage describes Christ because what you'll see there is this one who is the exact representation of God and yet he's the exact. But you could take that same description and say, no, take away from that the exact representation part. And just, he is truly becoming us in a way that we never were in order to fulfill our mandate before God. He became the Imago Dei par excellence in perfection. And that's what we mean by the second Adam. The Bible calls him the second Adam. We can literally, I, 
I can't believe this, we just spent an hour doing that because it looks, felt like 10 minutes. I feel like we didn't even touch anything. We should wrap it up though. Our producer's telling us we, we should come back to this one day. Yeah, we because can. Because I think that this is a this is not something just to, oh, we're, we've talked about yeah. that. This is something that's recurring. And I think honestly, it's the core of, of a lot of problems. Is that I do think the, the take home is there's a lot of, um, there's just a lot of pain and suffering in the world, both individually and socially. I think because we have lost it, it because of the death of the soul and the loss of this imago day sense of identity. We are now frantically working and trying to justify ourselves, improve ourselves, and it's really sad. This is really a great, great problem of the fall. I think you're right. So I'm with you on that. A lot more we can say, but I guess it was a start. We'll get to it. So Cheers. here's to, to derivative glory. Derivative glory. Made in the image of God. Made in the image of God. Trademarked. Just kidding. Thank you, guys. If you like the show, you know what to do. See you soon. Uh, no, I mean, honestly, guys, if you really, truly like the show and you actually like it, you actually watch the whole thing, the best thing you can do is share it with your friends. Tell them why you like it. Write to us. We will respond. We will read it. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this. Bye bye bye. Good night. This is one of my favorite songs, and I, and I, I don't even remember. It was like a, I gotta write this. What do you think of that one? That was really wild. Are you freaking serious? That's fine. I thought that was. You just listened to Smokin' Theologians. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe. Consider a five-star rating and share it with your friends. If you have any questions that you'd like answered on the show, write to us at holler at smokin'theologians.com. No G in smokin'.